Well, you can all be seated. Okay, well, I've got a few disadvantages that we might as well just lay out on the table before I get started. Um, the first one I've already talked about, and that's just inexperience. So I've never done this before, so you'll have to just bear with me and cover it all with a lot of grace. Uh, the second thing is it's the afternoon session, and so you've already drunk very deeply and, and eaten a couple of very full meals already. And so, so I know what it's like to get to the afternoon session. It's, it's challenging to stay focused and, and uh, I think not having lunch is a great way to help keep focus. So uh, that was good. Uh, and then the final thing is, is I've been given these life application kind of talks. And um, so, so that means that eventually we have to get down to sort of the nuts and bolts of it in, a, in our lives. And uh, there's, a, there's a chance you won't agree with me. And uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm not insulted if you don't agree with me. Um, but I do intend to uh, provoke thoughts if I can and try to stir you up a little bit. And, and ultimately, when you go home, I won't be there. And so it'll be back to you and... and and hopefully some, some thoughts that you've gleaned. Let's have, uh, let's have prayer before we go into this. Father God, um, as we meet with you one more time here this afternoon, we just simply beg for your presence. Father, we know that you're already here, and so we don't insult you by asking, Father. We, we just realize that, that if you're not here, Father, it's just a disaster. Father, this tongue needs some serious anointing. You know how much trouble it's gotten me in, in the past. And, and uh, James is very clear that it's, a, it's something that no man has tamed. And so I'm not the first one either. So Lord, just anoint it this afternoon and, and give us um, a clear message and make our waiting together and learning together profitable in the name of Jesus. Amen. Open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 21. We're supposed to speak a little bit about Lordship this afternoon, and we're going to read uh, a little bit here in Matthew 21. And uh, maybe I'll just read, starting in the 23rd verse. Now, get the perspective. Uh, this is right after the triumphal entry of Jesus. He's, he has come in to Jerusalem. Um, maybe we're a day, day beyond that, but... Anyway, let's begin reading in verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I, will, I, I, in, li I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we, sh if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? 
A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second, and he said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. Here, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the, fruit of, the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Now, the obvious question this afternoon is, is that we need to ask ourselves is this. Is my life truly under the authority of Jesus Christ? Is he really my Lord? We, we, uh, I, just, I just heard you uh, singing that, that you're willing to give your all to him because he gave his all to you. And so we, wanna, we want to examine that today. Um, I chose this parable in the vineyard for its, um, for its shocking violation of lordship. I, I don't know if there's, there's hardly another parable that, that shows just this shocking violation of, of lordship. Jesus says there was this man who had uh, a business venture. He wanted to plant a vineyard. And so you get the sense that with great, with great care and expenditure, he went out and he bought a chunk of land and he, he it says he, uh, he hedged it about. He built... Um, he built a tower because he was expecting maybe some enemies, a, a wine vat because he was thinking of the harvest. And he planted the vineyard. Then it was all done. He went out and he found men. I suppose he probably went into town and, and explained his vision for a vineyard. And he hired these men to come and keep and tend his vineyard. That's what their job was to be. His goal was fruit and he expected loyalty from his workers, and he had to go away. And so he couldn't be there to, to uh, oversee the work uh, in, in, present, in his presence. Now, I think there is something that he should have taught those men before he left. And uh, this is something that it would have been very good for them to maybe recite each day as they were going to work. It could have said something like this, For thine is the vineyard, and the grapes and the harvest forever. Wouldn't that have been a good thing for them to say as they went to work each morning? Um, because what we're going to see is there was a subtle shift that happened from being a worker in the vineyard to believing they were the lords of the vineyard. It's a subtle shift that can happen in our lives too. 
There were a couple of issues at stake before um, Jesus gave this parable. Two things I want to just mention. One was the authority of Jesus. So in verse um, 21, um, it said, I think it was verse 21, 23, and when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest these things? And who gave thee this authority? So apparently that's a question that needs to be answered. People struggle with that. When somebody's in authority, they want to know, where did that authority come from? Who gave it to you? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then there was another issue, and that was the will of the Father. And Jesus uh, talked about those two boys. And he asked them, now which one did the will of the Father? So those were two issues that were at stake before he told him this parable about, about um, lordship. Now, um, I think this, medic, this, um, this message of lordship is very critical. Um, and and maybe, maybe we could just try to get a couple of reasons why you think I think that. Uh, just throw a couple of them out. We ought to be able to come up with a couple. Why is the message of lordship a critical message? He's lord or he's nothing. He's lord or he's nothing. Yeah, okay, good. Because many will call him lord, but he will say, I never knew you. So there's a chance you could be completely deceived. Okay. What and when, why would we want to obey somebody who is not lord, who we don't, who we don't believe is lord? Yeah, what if you were obeying somebody that didn't even have the right to be lord? Okay. Another one is that the culture that we live in doesn't understand lordship. Oh, they do. That is themselves as lord. And that's, uh, that's one of the problems that we have. Um, another one is that Jesus is our lord, whether we recognize it or not. He is lord. Um, and and um, finally, I, the, the third one that I wrote down is that the whole of the Christian experience is to be found in a proper understanding of the lordship of Jesus. In this, in this teaching, we begin to understand things like authority, identity, life, purpose, and everything when we get, the, get this foundation of lordship right. So what does it mean to be a lord? How, how about some ideas? What does it mean to be, what is a lord? Can you think of some characteristics of a lord? You have one. Can you identify his characteristics? What is it? He owns everything. He owns everything. Okay. He's master, savior. So there's a measure of control. Teacher. He's a teacher. He has the right to instruct. In the dark ages, the lords were the king of the domain. So of a geographical area, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it's definitely a position that someone holds. It is a position. <coughs> It's also a position of authority, ultimate authority, rather. Um, you know, the Lord, can, he can make a law, and he can also enforce it. He can, he can pardon, and he can also condemn to death. That is within the jurisdiction of a Lord. Um, a Lord is a Lord also because he has subjects. If you take away the Lord's subjects, uh, naturally speaking anyway, He's not much of a lord. He's not lord. A lord has subjects that he's over. Those that look to him for direction and orders and those who serve him. Now, you know, they, uh, the, the Jews wanted to know by what authority he became lord or how he became lord. He, they said, who gave you this authority? 
And so do you have any sense of maybe how someone could become a Lord, just naturally speaking, say? So suppose you woke up one morning and you said, I'm going to be Lord, uh, naturally speaking. What, what, what kind of things would make you a Lord? Born into the position. So like the British monarchy, right? And that is really actually what the Jews were used to. Um, initially, uh, it was a family conference. So that, that's, one, that's a good one. Same thing, yeah. So uh, by heredity. By conquest. By conquest. So you are Lord of what you can take. And we understand that as we see um, the nations of the world positioning themselves. They, they take. And you know, you, uh, you can think of Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, um, and all of those people became Lord by taking a portion of, of typically land. It also usually included people. Anything else? Being given that position by someone in greater authority. By bestowal. And that is exactly what happened with King Saul and King David. These were just men that were going about their everyday life and suddenly a prophet comes with, a, with some oil and he dumps it on their head and you're the king. They didn't do anything to deserve. Well, they lived very exemplary lives, but they weren't seeking it. They just became king one day. It was by uh, the lordship of, of God, obviously, that happened. Uh, let's, let's throw in another one. What about by creation? Typically, you are the lord of what you can create. So, for instance, if you dream up something, an idea, you can go in here to the government and you can get it patent. It's yours. You own it. You control it because you dreamed it up and you made it. You are the creator of it. Um, and then finally, I'll throw one more out, and that is by purchase. Typically, what you buy, you are the owner of. You know, in 1866, the people of Alaska were owned by Russia. But in 1867, after William Seward wrote a check for $7,200,000, overnight they came under a new authority just by purchase. The United States purchased them. They had a new set of laws. They had a new authority. They were, they were a different people the next year by purchase. So by heredity, bestow, conquest, creation, uh, and purchase. So now what... Let's talk a little bit about what limits a Lord, naturally speaking. Um, we talked about geographical boundaries. That is a limit. When was the last time you felt um, obligated to the president of Mexico? Or say, felt bad because you hadn't paid Canadian taxes? It just, you've never experienced that. And the reason is, is because the king that rules this jurisdiction that you live in um, that's who you're under. And his jurisdiction stops at the Rio Grande, as well as the Mexican presidents. And so typically he's limited, naturally speaking, by geographical boundaries. Now another thing that he's limited by is his reach of power. So for instance, um, you remember that, uh, cin that centurion that said he, he was having this dialogue with Jesus, and he says, I say unto this man, uh, go, and he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. But there were lots and lots of other people that if he would have said go, probably wouldn't have gone. Because they were not under his reach of power. And so a, a Lord has a, a reach of power. 
Um, he, um, he is also limited by the entitlements of his position. Now, when Samuel told the people what kind of a king he was going to, they were going to have, he gave them a whole grocery list of the things that he was going to take. He said, you know, if, if, if you have a king, uh, he's going to take uh, your daughter, daughters to be his cooks, your sons to be his chariot drivers and his horsemen. He's going to take your servants. He's going to take a tenth of everything that you have. And so what he was trying to give them a picture of is, is the entitlements of having a king. And typically, interestingly enough, naturally speaking, the kings of the earth are only limited by their ability to take. So, uh, you know, uh, Putin right now would like to take, um, um, where was it, Ukraine? Crimea. Uh, Crimea, right, right. He'd like to take that. But... Um, uh, he's, he's somewhat restrained by other authorities, uh, at least the last I heard. Um, and so usually it's, it's um, the, um, he's only limited by his ability to take. Now, um, it is a crime to abide in a Lord's jurisdiction and not be loyal to, the, to that Lord. That is considered a crime by just about every Lord. To be in his jurisdiction but not loyal to him. So for instance, there's a fellow uh, by the name of Saeed Abedini, and he comes from Boise, really close to where we live. He's a pastor, an Iranian pastor. He's, a, he's Iranian born, and he went back over there, and his purpose is somewhat iffy, but it was, I think it was because he was over there to set up some churches, and the Iranian government arrested him, and he's in prison because he's a threat to the, to the lordship of that nation. He is setting up Christian churches, and that's undermining the authority of the government, so they have him locked up. Uh, interestingly enough, um, if you've heard anything about Edward Snowden, now Edward is an American that's living in Russia. You know why he's in Russia? Because he is undermining the authority of President Obama and the interest of the United States, and so he's a fugitive from this land. And so it is a crime to abide in a jurisdiction and not be loyal to that Lord. Well, anyhow, I, I want to just, uh, with, with just setting that uh, background, I want to quickly shift over into um, the, um, the Lordship of Jesus and specifically his right to Lordship in our lives. Um, he, is, um, he is Lord by heredity. So if we want to answer the question, where did this authority come from? Uh, there's multiple areas that we can, we can argue from. One, by heredity. 28 generations from, um, from um, uh, if I can find it, 28 generations from King David was King Jesus. He arose from the lineage of the kings. Now, the Jews tried to undermine that by saying, but you were born of fornication in an attempt to undermine his, his right to authority. But we know that that was not the case, that the seed uh, that was, that was of Mar in Mary was of God. So he is Lord by heredity. He's Lord by bestow. And um, there's, there's several uh, illustrations where this happened, but think about his baptism. When that voice, uh, when that dove came down and lit upon him, the Mount of Transfiguration, um, where the voice says, this is my beloved son, hear ye him, a direct command from Jesus, that this, this, is, a, this is the authority, hear him. 
um, by bestowal. He's Lord by creation. Uh, can you all re- can you all uh, say together First uh, John one to the, through the fifth verse in unison? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. One more. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And the the phrase that we want is, all things were made by Him. He is Lord by creation. All things. We'd like to just look at a couple of more. Uh, Colossians 1. We can turn there. We'll just look at a, a couple of more illustrations of this. Colossians 1 says this in the 16th verse, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He is the Creator of all things. One more. In uh, Revelation chapter 4, um, the, uh, the heavenly host are crying out that he's worthy, and uh, we're going to find out why he is. Revelation 4, and it says in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. He is Lord. By creation. He, he is the Creator. He is Lord by conquest. Let's just think about that for a moment. He is Lord by conquest. He came and He walked upon enemy territory. And He violated every stronghold that Satan had. The question was asked this morning, what is less than nothing? Well, less than nothing is when you try to come to Jesus and say, if you'll just fall down and worship Me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And in, in your memorization verse, that's less than nothing. All the kingdoms of the world. I'm not sure uh, why Satan didn't think of that before he made that offer. Um, but uh, what a silly thing to offer uh, somebody like Jesus. Um, anyhow, he's lured by conquest. And uh, you know, when he came back through uh, the gates of death, He took out the one stronghold that Satan could hold over people. And when he violated that, he was Lord by conquest. He is is the Lord uh, of all. Um, Now, uh, I'd like to look at uh, at Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. And let's look at what this says. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He made an open show of His spoiling of all principalities and powers. Ephesians 1. We'll just look at one more. Ephesians 1 and uh, verse 20 says this which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And listen to this. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He is Lord by absolute conquest. He's also finally Lord by purchase. We'll just, we'll just uh, end with that one for the moment. He's Lord by purchase. Acts 20, uh, 28 uh, has this verse in it. It was a warning um, to the church leaders, I believe, where it says this, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He purchased it with his own blood. And he's Lord by purchase. He owns it. The devil, uh, the devil has no right to a claim because that debt to him has been paid. And uh, in, in Christ, um, Christ has paid that debt. So... Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I hope that we've sort of showed that, that he is Lord. He's Lord by multiple different counts. But interestingly enough, um, even though he's Lord, he's still only Lord of your life while your heart pumps by choice. And if it wasn't that way, we wouldn't, they wouldn't have asked me to speak on this topic. Because it's possible, even though he is, for us not to allow him to be that. Um, you know, uh, there is, a, there is a, a, a young fellow that really gets beat up a lot in Christendom that they came to Jesus all excited and, and he had this thought that he wanted Jesus to be Lord of his life. But he really didn't have any concept of the depth and the breadth and the height of what lordship actually meant in the life. And so he, he began his list with Jesus, and he says, these are, these are all the things, the commandments and, and the teachings and, and all these things I've kept from my youth up. And, and Jesus got him to the point where there was just one thing left. He says, just go sell all you got and come and follow me. Let me be Lord of your life. And what happened was he went away sorrowful because it looked too big. And I just have to, I have to believe that that's still a possibility, that you can come up against what real lordship really is, and then back up because it looks too big, too much. He has too much authority. He's going to ask too many things of me. Now, um, I, I, I want to point out that although each one of us have the, the privilege of making him lord of our life, we don't seem to have that same privilege after we die. He becomes... Lord upon our death. Uh, we already quoted where, I, I think maybe we didn't, where death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And that which is thrown is helpless. It cannot stop from being thrown. It is hurled. Um, Romans says this, As it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Um, I get the Pilgrim's Witness. This is the March issue. And uh, along these lines, let me just read uh, uh, something from 
an individual, Clyde Martin, he wrote an article and, and uh, he was talking about um, some youth, some Mennonite youth that went to New York City. I'll just read this just to, just to show you uh, a little glimpse into to, uh, where many people are at. Fast forward to one of our New York, uh, New York for Jesus trips. When the group was handing out tracts and singing in Union Square Park, New York City, there they encountered an ungodly, arrogant, blaspheming group that mocked God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They acted out a mock crucifixion, complete with a crown of thorns and fake blood running down the actor's face. They especially held in contempt the man who had predicted exactly when the world would end. This blaspheming bunch was aware of this verse in Romans 14.11 that states, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. They countered with a bold statement in the stories and poems that they wrote and handed out. Quote, If we're going to bow to God, He'll have to break our legs to make us do so. Stay braced and stiff-legged until God is forced to break their legs to get them to bow? Really? Were you ever that terribly frightened that your legs got weak or your knees shook? Think about that. Imagine these blasphemers coming into the presence of God and the creator of the universe, the designer of the plan of salvation, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the God who told Moses, just tell them I am has sent you. Do you think their legs will still be braced and stiff? I'd be surprised if they would be able to stand at all. And uh, that's the culture that we live in, though, is that, yes, maybe my knees will bow, but they'll have to be broken first. You know what kind of scares me is, is I can look at those, those young people from New York or those mockers and, and just think about that and how sad it is and how far they are away from our God. But if we get right down and personal, there may be something in your life, I know there are sometimes in mine, that refuse to bow that knee. And it raises up its head and says the only way it will is if they're broken. It's just something in us that doesn't want to yield entirely to his control. Now, now I want to talk just a little bit now about the evidences in your life that he is your Lord. Um, what are some evidences? <clears throat> from this young man who thought he wanted to be uh, wanted Jesus to be his Lord we have to deduce that claiming Jesus as Lord is more than just a verbal confession of belief in him um, apparently um, everything that he had done his good, his good raising his obedience to the law his, his, um, his love of God and all that somehow sold, sold him short because in the very end Jesus wasn't Lord of his life and so uh, we want to just look at it. The first thing, I, the first question I ask you is, what image are you bearing? Now, one time the Pharisees came to accuse Jesus, and they thought that they could get him with a question about taxes. Now, they hated paying their taxes, and they thought that uh, they could maybe get him to enter into that hate for taxes, and then they could have something to accuse him to the authorities of. But he just said, show me a penny. And they showed him a, a denarius, and he said, whose image is on that? They said, well, it's Caesar's image is on that. He said, well, then give it to Caesar. Render to him the things that are his. And so ultimately, the image that's stamped upon something uh, reflects who the Lord of that thing is. Um, so um, let's, look at a couple of, let's look at a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 
Let's, uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians and we'll, uh, we'll look at the third chapter, the 18th verse. 3.18 says this, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's by the Spirit of the Lord but if He's really our Lord, we're being changed into His image. That should be happening in our life. Let's look at another one. Well, I'll just tell you about this one. In Genesis 1, uh, the Godhead came together and they said, let's make man in our image. And that is the image that was stamped upon Adam and Eve for a period of time. That is, until they changed that image. They gave that image up and they began to bear the image of sin. And that's, that's what one of the things that Jesus came to do was was bring us back into a position where we could bear His image again. Uh, let's look at another one. Uh, Titus 2.9. Titus 2.9. And exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adore the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And that's for us. Uh, he says, tell servants that they should adorn the doctrine. Meaning, make that their image. Make that what they look like when people look at them and, and what they really truly are. The doctrine in all things. Now let's just think a little bit about images. Uh, now, now, in the type of work that I do, I work with the low-class people, and it's, 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 a, it's just an average day when somebody comes in just covered with tattoos, and they've got <coughs> chunks of metal poking through their nose, and they've got chains hanging from them. Whose image is that? We, we know it's, they've got their image of their Lord stamped on them, don't they? What, well, we, we can talk about them, but what about the person that comes in in designer clothes, and, and they're obviously wrapped up in the God of fashion. You know, we can look at that person and the image is stamped on them. You can see it. What about the, what about the person that carries about a, a bad attitude or, a, or a, a haughty spirit with them? Again, it's speaking of an image, of a lordship that's stamped on that person's life. Um, you know, we care about how we dress, how we take care of our bodies, how we treat one another. Because we know that if we're going to claim his, Him as Lord, there has to be Lord stamped on every part of our life. Now, so, so, first, so first of all, the image you're bearing speaks an of an evidence of Lordship. Now, the second one I'd like to talk about is doing the works of the Lord. This is another one. Uh, one time the people came to, to Jesus and they said, well, Abraham is our father. He says, no, he's not. And I'm sure that started them because they said, Jesus says, because Abraham never tried to kill me. You see, they had just divorced themselves from being able to even uh, claim Abraham as their father. And so I think we can say, we're doing the works of our Lord. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I tell you? And so apparently, the things that we do also speak very loudly about lordship in our life. It's a false assurance 
when anyone is taught that Jesus can be your Lord when you do not his works. Uh, Jesus told us the, the parable of the talents there in Matthew 25. And there was, there was one fellow that was just lazy. And he didn't go to work. He did nothing with his talent. And when he came, probably all along, he was, he was referencing this man as his boss or his Lord or his whatever he was. But when he came back, he found him to be his worst enemy. He says, bind him, hand and foot, throw him out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we said, that's, that's harsh. But every day that that man did not go to work, he was declaring that this man was not his Lord. He wasn't doing his works. Um, Jesus tells us uh, as workers in Luke 17, I might just turn there. Luke 17, it's, uh, it's some good advice about a, a struggle we have. And, and clearly these men had, and that was the development of an, of an entitlement uh, mentality. Um, Let's uh, start uh, in verse 7. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve him till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, Say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done only that which is our duty to do. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's what he wanted us to say. Because we have this struggle with this entitlement thing. After you've been working in the vineyard for a while, you begin to think, why don't I own this? Why? The guy hasn't shown up for a long time. Maybe it's mine. <clears throat> well, so, are you doing the works of your Lord? Finally, uh, the, the last one I want to just, just mention, evidences of, uh, that Jesus is actually your Lord is, are you in subjection to the Lord? You know, um, we mentioned earlier that centurion, when he said to someone, go, they were expected to go. And, and my dad uh, used that old familiar phrase on me. Uh, he would say, son, when I say jump, I want you to ask how high on the way up and what he was saying, the, the, the sum total of that was, we don't need to have a discussion about my authority before you decide to move. And that's what these Jews are saying. Where did you get your authority? Where did it come from? Why do we have to listen to you? They should have just been, blessed are those who just do his will. Um, Jesus uh, often spoke of his relationship with his father, and, and it so clearly demonstrates this. He, he said, I, I don't do my own things. What my Father says, those are the things that I speak, and those are the things that I do. He seemed to have that, that perfect embodiment of submission to God as his Father. It was beautiful. He says, I do nothing of myself. How do you think that uh, that vineyard looked when the owner finally got back there. I want to just talk about this a little bit. Um, I think that probably when he arrived, 
from a long ways off, he could feel a fairly hostile environment. I think if he got up close, he probably saw a lot of uh, stones littering the place. I think he probably saw some fresh graves uh, here and there. He had sent quite a few men to, to try to reach out to them. Uh, you know, there might have even been some no trespassing signs put up. And maybe they'd even got a guard dog and stuck it at the, at the front gate when he came back with his, his armies. What a, what a change from an idyllic dream to something that was completely given over to revolt. He had such a beautiful dream of what could be. But these men through revolt had changed it all. And so really, the, the question is, is my life, my life, embracing, yielded to, and in complete subjection to Jesus Christ as Lord? Um, in other words, what does the vineyard you are in look like? Um, are you just satisfied with your role of being a, a husbandman? Or do you secretly think maybe that you ought to own the vineyard? Am I willing for him to get all the grapes, all the profits, all the glory? Am I responding to the men that he's sending to speak into my life? Am I reverencing his son? Am I being a loyal subject? Do I have any hidden agenda or any no trespassing signs? Am I doing his will? Am I actually going when the Father says go? Are his laws, precepts, commands my delight? Or do I do it grudgingly? Jesus made it very clear that he can't be Lord of our life if there's another one. He won't do that. He won't compete uh, with another God in your life if there's one there. Um, and that's why he can say, if I'm going to be your Lord, you have, to be able, you have to be willing to change every single other relationship you have. Do you want to hold out for your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your land or your houses? He says there's no man that had left these things for his sake that won't receive a hundredfold more in this life and in the life to come immense rewards. Everything you have must be surrendered in order for him to be your Lord. There cannot be any competing affections that will spoil the relationship. How did it work out for those ones that defied the Lord? You know, uh, I, think it's a, I think it begs a question. Um, what, um, what is the outcome? Um, I suppose that for a while they thought they were having a great time. I think they felt like they were the Lord of the vineyard. I think they probably got some enjoyment out of hauling all the grapes to the wine fat and selling their own product. They weren't under anybody. All the voices had been silenced. But the day came when the Lord returned. Judgment came and they had to face the rightful owner of the, of the vineyard and his authority over them. Let me just assure you something, that if he had not come, it would not have gotten any better. You see, when, when Satan becomes the Lord of anything, it is downhill from that moment on. He is the author of lust, 
He is the author of every traitor. Uh, and, and, and the environment in that vineyard was going south from the very first stone that they threw. Um, and and it, it frustrates me because the, Satan lies to us today, giving us the impression that if we eliminate this, that somehow it gets better. But it only gets worse. Um, he, is, he is the author of treachery and traitors. They are deceiving and being deceived. That's how it works out in his kingdom. The deceivers ultimately are deceived. Um, one of the young men from, uh, that, that comes to church there in our congregation and I were having a discussion one time about, about uh, Jesus and, and why, why he came. And I asked him, why did Jesus come? And he said, because man had a problem. And he didn't know much more than that. He just said, man has a problem. And I said, that's the right answer. Man had a serious problem. Because man wanted to be Lord. That's what he wanted to be. Um, and uh, and when, he, um, when he believed that lie, that you can be like God, it was downhill from there. And he needed, um, his end result was to be enslaved in chains of sin under darkness. Um, I want to, we have some papers, and I want to hand those out now, because we need to have a, a little bit of a more practical discussion you know, I, I've tried to show you that by every right, he's Lord. Um, and another one is the, uh, just a, a brief profile of what lordship might look like. And um, you can only have one true loyalty. I'm going to need one of these, Joe, too, because I gave my copy away. But um, maybe we could just have a, we can, we can open up and have a little bit of conversation in the time we have. We have plenty of time, I think. <laughs> So I just put the little vine is the vineyard, the grapes and the harvest forever, amen, at the top, because I want you to remember that. Um, I'd like to just explore this, this second one. Is he Lord of my life or Lord of my leftovers? You see, that's what I think the rich young ruler's problem was. It, he just had, uh, he, he actually went to the Lord and says, what lack I yet? Uh, just kind of like if there's anything missing, uh, speak into my life. Um, and uh, that, is a, that is an attitude that we could develop. Lord of my life or Lord of my leftovers. Maybe there's not... Does anybody have any comments on that? Maybe there's not anything, uh, anything to say about that. Um, the third one I have is, where he is Lord, there is light and fresh openness. And, and Rod began this morning by saying that uh, transparency is, is critical to community. And um, what area of your life is not this way? So, you know, as youth, I, I just envision that, that, um, that there isn't a single area of your life that another godly, cannot, a godly person could not speak into and, and you would suddenly throw up a, a defense or, or become prickly. Or, uh, so I, I envision that probably every cell phone, because he's Lord of your life and he's giving you everything, could be laid out here. And we could go through every single cell phone. And, and, and you, there'd be no shame. You wouldn't blush. It'd be fresh openness. Like, Take it. Go look at it. He's Lord of my life. I think, we could, I think uh, we could ask you to maybe stand up and talk about your schedule. Um, you know, what, what does your daily schedule look like? We heard uh, these brethren talking last night about you know, just the, the need for, for um, a cultured life. 
um, the devoted life. But maybe we could just ask you to talk about your schedule. What does your daily schedule look like? Because trust me, if he's Lord of your life, he's got a heavy stamp on your schedule. He controls it. Um, or um, how you spend your free time. Uh, I think that, that should have a stamp of lordship on it too. What other things? What other things? Uh, you got any other ideas? Things that maybe we could put a stamp on? Thought patterns. Thought patterns. We hide behind those and just as soon not put them up on the board, huh? Where you spend your money. Your investments speak very heavily of who your Lord is. Other ideas? Who you choose to spend time with. Yeah. Yeah, your associates uh, speak very, very loudly of that. Hmm. You know, for somebody that's going to have to give an account for every word that they speak, uh, that is, that's a real point. They would, uh, they would uh, be edifying and blessing and encouraging um, one another. Lord controls their tongue. Foolishness. Bible does speak about that, doesn't it? Foolish jesting and things that aren't convenient. Books we read. Ah, that's an excellent one too. Probably speaks loudly of who our Lord is. It does. There's no probably about it. The way we interact with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. The way we speak to others and the things that we consider important to talk about while we're speaking to them. Our speech would be consistent with his vision. Uh, it should be anyway. The things that are important to him you know, uh, would be important to us also. And so they would tend to come out in our conversations. What do you think about five? Uh, subtly shifting from working in to becoming lords of the vineyard. Is that actually something that could happen? Um, and if it is, could you, could, you, could you maybe talk about that? How could we do, how could we, it, it's probably a continuum. It probably doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's probably something that, that you kind of subtly drift into the position of yourself as Lord instead of worker. Rod mentioned it, not asking him, not asking him for little things. Interesting. I mean, hey, I can do this with myself. Yeah, when, speaking of when, when you got invited to Bible school, um, uh, I was at home and, uh, and I had, I'm a very scheduled person, and so I try not to talk about that as holiness because it just kind of comes natural to me. But um, I came home and I decided I was going to go out and get on the tractor and do some farm work, and the key was missing. Uh, our our three-year-old loves to get up on there, and he turns. He usually does one of two things: either hides the key or turns the lights on, and so it's dead when I get home. <laughs> well, the key was gone, and uh, that's when Pete called me. Actually, he caught me right at that moment when the key was gone. It wasn't. Uh, my wife could tell you it was tense, <laughs> and 
And so Pete asked me, could you come and teach, you know, and I mean, it's, it's embarrassing to even, even act like I should be here, you know, in that moment, but anyhow, uh, my wife was in the house praying, and, and about halfway through our conversation, the, the key was found in a very unlikely spot down in a stroller. And so, uh, it's something I actually struggle with, actually, asking him for the little things. I, I tend to get frustrated and, come on, man up, you know, figure this one out. But uh, ultimately, you're going to yourself as the source of, of, of strength in that point. You're not going to God. So that's a, that's a good one. Continuing to ask him for even just the little things allows him to continue to be Lord. I would say, too, um, there was one time in my life that I felt God speaking to me to go and ask somebody's forgiveness, and I, I wouldn't do it for a while. Mm. Uh, my peace left right away, but I think that's another small way. When we first time we refused God, in the smallest thing, I think that might be a step. Yeah. Being very in touch with with his his spirit. Taking credit for things that are rightfully his, or reward that is right rightfully his. Mm. As soon as you have families and they're they're actually doing well, you'll go to town and everybody's like, Oh, you have such a lovely family. <sighs> Must be wonderful parents. <coughs> That's a moment. You better do something. <laughs> You're right in the balance at that point. Yeah. When something doesn't go my way, uh, that's, that's going to reveal whether I'm working in or I'm taking over. What is your response when it doesn't work out? Yeah, that's a painful one, too, for me. I struggle with that one. Hmm. Scheduled people have real issues with that one. I don't know if you knew that, <laughs> but but um, if you've got if you've got you know your day planned out and it doesn't uh, work out that way, um, it's a, it, it can really be a disaster. My wife will tell you that. Anything else? Six, what will your vineyard look like when the Lord comes again? Guard dogs, fresh graves, no trespassing signs. I hope not. I don't think that's the way it will be at all. But he is coming again. And then finally, I just put this down from Corinthians. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that's just that divine ownership. He, he owns you. And we're called to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Any other comments? Mm -hmm. Yes, Steve. Did, did we do uh, number four? Or did I miss You know, I just, I think I breezed right over that. The image of who I serve is on every aspect of my life. Is my identity clearly discernible? Uh, just some thoughts on that. Having a clearly discernible image. So when those men picked up that coin, Caesar was stamped on that thing. I mean, it was, it was, there was no doubt. Caesar is the same true for us. Do you dare to throw out a few things maybe that help make up that image? For me, I, I think it would be not looking like the world, and in one area that just came up with, uh, we already mentioned, was in language. Mm -hmm. um, you stand out, depending on what crowd you're around, 
You can stand out. Yeah, just having a clean mouth. Yeah. It's true. Your countenance. Your countenance. That, that is a beautiful one. Um, it is so refreshing to see a, a peaceful countenance and a joyful countenance. When you go out into the world, if you've got a peaceful, joyful countenance, you've got something that like hardly anybody else has. And uh, that's powerful. I remember the other day, somebody um, commenting, it was rainy, kind of a rainy day, something about, you know, maybe mentioned something about being a crummy day or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't think of it at the time, but later it's like, you know, the, the verse came later, that this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and glad in it. But, but, you know, just having a response to, um, is, is my response the same as theirs? Like, yeah, it is, it's snowing or raining or trying to work and it's doing this and it's, it is kind of crummy. Or is, is this the day the Lord has made, even in a foggy, rainy day? Think how disappointing they were when they said, isn't it wrong for us to pay taxes? And they just desperately wanted him to say, yeah, I can't stand paying taxes. I mean, what a loser Caesar is. He's like, well, whose is it, you know? And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that kind of love that gets off your donkey and gets all bloody and picks him up and takes him back to the inn and pays for the next however long it takes. It's that kind of love. You know, I've seen that in young people. I mean, there's, there's young people I can think of that are just, they're just right there for, for a person that's not enjoyable to be around. I mean, in every group, there's, there's somebody that, you know, maybe just uh, isn't enjoyable to be with. But you take a young person that, that is willing to reach out to them and, and show them love. That's powerful. Or the handicap or the cripple or whatever. Something else is motivating that individual at that point. It is their, it is their Lord. And you can see it. So. I think a time of trial or a time of uh, some devastating event. I remember several years ago there were two families in our community that both lost a son. Mm. And one was a believer and one was not, and that image was stamped on both families. Interesting. Yeah, reactions. Yeah, how we, how we deal with frustrations and disappointments and show a lot mm -hmm. our attitudes in those situations. It boils out in those times, doesn't it? It's just hard to keep it down there. I mean, most other times we can hide it pretty good. <laughs> so. Okay, well, it's actually a little bit early. Yeah. Thank you. 
just share this to young people. Regardless of where you're fellowshipping, you have something to offer the world. Even as an Anabaptist conservative Christian, you have something to offer the world. You know what that is? His name is Wow. He's Jesus. And too often we think that we have to compete with other groups or we have to go follow them. We don't. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to change. We can offer the true love of Christ where we're at. And then there's other principles you can bless them with too that others don't see exactly like we do. bless you. One other comment. Allow yourself the possibility that you've been called into Anabaptist churches on purpose um, and for, a, for an interesting purpose. Uh, one, of the gr one of the fastest growing religions is the, the Muslim religion. And it's uh, Brother Gary Miller from our congregation travels all over the world and, and he said it is just powerful when he shows them a picture of his family. He just shows them a picture and they cannot hardly believe it. The women are modest, it's an intact family. All of these things that they, they embrace and, and believe, they got a lot of error, but they do got some good things. They look at that, he says he can begin to talk to them. And so, uh, you know, we've been taught some, some things that I think are very powerful, and uh, it may be that uh, the Lord is positioning us to help uh, reach out to a to uh, a large group of people here at the end of the world. That's... Anyway, I think that's it. So Lord bless you all.